Welcome to the final episode of this first series of Inside the Dressing Room. To end the series, we've picked a man that made a career out of starting new eras. From scoring the first ever Premier League goal to netting for the first time in a competitive game at what is now King Power Stadium, this man saw relegation and promotion during his short spell with the Foxes. Leicester 1, Watford 0. Looks up and finds Dean again. 2-0 Leicester City. Here's Brian Dean. Brian Dean! Leicester have the advantage inside three minutes. With Brian Dean to his right. Dean! 2-1! Quality finish. Goes back to five, Benjamin. Here's Brian Dean! 1-0! Usual story. Brian Dean in the right place at the right time. Well, Brian Dean, thank you ever so much for, for coming on and doing Inside the Dressing Room for us. Firstly, when, when I ask you to look back at your time with Leicester City, what do you think? Oh, I had a great time. Um, you know, we, it was, there were some testing times, but um, overall, anytime I think of Leicester, it's with a smile on my face. I loved coming and living down there. Um, I love my teammates. You know, we had such a laugh. Um, you know, obviously there was some adversity in the fact that the club nearly went to the wall, but I think a lot of us grew up um, when that happened. You know, we, we kind of, all of a sudden we were staring in an abyss, um, you know, with, with the possibility of the club going into liquidation. The stadium had just been finished, but the, the finances weren't in place. And we had a, um, you know, we literally the boys we all got together on the training pitch and said listen guys you know we've got to get the club out of this you know we we took it on ourselves i mean you know we had obviously we got our our um, the 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 tr the coaching staff and the management and everything but we as players said listen guys we're good enough to get out of this division and we got to push each other on and i'll never forget that you, you know we we kind of bonded in a way that I've not had to bond with other play, other 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 squads. You know, we're, we're having to talk about deferments and ripping up contracts while we're doing our warm-ups. Um, but always we had the likes of Andy Impey throwing a few jokes in, and um, you know, Ian Walker, and the, you know, so it was it was a brilliant brilliant time of my life. Um, you know, I was really sad to leave, if I'm honest. Um, I felt that when I left, it, it was, I felt kind of cheated mm. because I'd, I'd done so much to help the club get promoted. And then, you know, I was more or less told, you know, you're not in my plans. And I, I get it, but I don't. Um, it kind of crushed me a little bit. But I went, you know, I left there, I went down to West Ham and, you know, I had a, had a good year there. But, um, no, it was it was brilliant. I had a, had a few laughs. I'll give you a quick story in that when I left we used to call each other Wilf um, you know it was like it's like a pet name for somebody who you've got to do something like let's say somebody goes and, and, and brings a tease in and, and, and what would happen was you go Wilf, Wilf get us a cup of tea will you <laughs> you know um, and, and it's really funny because uh, that, that was the theme all the way through and um, 
when I left, the lads, they went out and bought a registration plate, Wilf, and uh, they put it above my place uh, with R.I.P. Wilf. Um <laughs> Uh, but you know, and they and they sent me the picture, and it, you know it was really nice because obviously we we were we were a tight group. We had you know a real good camaraderie in there, and um, great times. The, the the whole thing from the time I moved, I found a flat um, in Glenfield and just had a brilliant time. Some of the young lads um, helped to mentor like Jordan, Pipes. Um, and yeah, it was great. Club. You know, the backroom staff were brilliant. The girls in the office, um, Birchie, everybody was. Yeah, it was. It was one of the happiest times of my um, career, both on and off the pitch. Really. Well, that's really, really nice to hear. And and one thing we ask on this podcast is the the story behind you signing for Leicester. How did that story go? So I was at Middlesbrough, and um, Steve McLaren took over. Um, not somebody I'm um, too fond of when I tell you this story. But basically he came in and, and, and within about two, three days, he pulled me in his office and he said, um, you're not in my plans, you know, I've got six, seven forwards and um, you don't you don't feature above any of those. Um, and, and obviously it's, it, I'm a fighter, you know, and I always have been. And um, when he said that, it hurt. It really, really hurt. But I thought I, got, I went away, left the room, crushed, and I and I got out and I thought, no, hang on a minute, this isn't what you're about, Brian. You're gonna you're gonna prove him wrong. So I, um, what I did was I thought, okay, well he said that I'm not going anywhere unless it, it suits me. Um, you know, they can they can pay me up if that's what they want, and I'll find a new club. And I said that to him, and he was like, well, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, we're not paying you up. So I was like, anyway, listen, I'm just going to settle down and, and, and carry on with what I'm doing anyway. Um, there's a couple of things that happened in uh, pre-season which I wasn't happy about. Like, he went away to Preston and um, he played everybody. I was on the bench, he played everybody, put all the subs on it apart from me and then turned around and said, uh, oh, Brian, I forgot about you. I thought I'd... And, I, I thought, and again, that's another kick in the stomach. Um so that re- that was really disappointing, but I thought, no, Brian, just keep your head down, you know, remember who you are, remember what you've done. Um, and um, the, the next thing that happened was um, Alan Boxich got injured. So Alan got injured and, and the manager called me and put me in the team and um, I did well. I got a few man of the matches and, and all the rest. Of it, and then Alan came back, and Alan was the cent- he was the main centre forward at the club, no doubt. He's a very good player at that point. Um, and um, you know what I found was I found myself we played together in one game, and then I was dropped, and then I was back to square one. Basically, he said, "Oh, thanks for coming in, but you know I still want you to leave." And I was like, "You know, this hasn't ever happened to me. I've always been very professional, so I couldn't believe how." Um, somebody could treat you like this um and i know i'm going on long-winded but i'm just trying to give a little bit of insight Mm. i hope you've got time uh but it but it again it really kicked me in the stomach um we he you know there was a he brought a psychologist in which he talked about going on a journey are you getting on this bus that they were having and i i I thought hang on a minute you've 
you've already told me that I can't get on this bus. So why am I in the room? You know what I mean? So anyway, the the, the final blow was after I'd been um, left out of the squad again and had to train on a Saturday, which really, if you're a footballer and you're not in the matchday squad, um, it really hurts that you're training on a Saturday. Um the, the the next thing that happened was we um we had a we had a bleep test and I remember dropping out really early and I, and, I, and that wasn't me and I thought okay I need to get out of here now you know because that's just not me I, that's not me being professional so um, I spoke to Dave Bassett Harry Harry and uh, said listen I've just gone in at Leicester you know and he was obviously doing a kind of a rescue job to a degree i think peter taylor had left and you, you know and, and i was happy to come down there it was something different and um yeah i came down there it was an interesting time for the club shall we say um but no I t- so that's how it came about in the end i had a few other options but i fancied leicester i looked at who the squad was i thought they're in the premier league this is an opportunity to try and help keep the club up um, so yeah, that's that's why I came down. Before we go any further and, and ask you some of the other questions, in that first season with Leicester when you did join, you, I mean you scored a, a good couple of goals in the Premier League in in a few appearances, but obviously, unfortunately, <laughs> it, it did end in relegation at the end of that first season. I'd a re- I really enjoyed it. Um, we had a lot of fa- forward power. But we just didn't have the right balance, I think. And, um, you know, it, it was unfortunate, but I think the writing was on the wall pretty early. Um, but, but yeah, it was, you know, look, I love scoring goals. It, it's as simple as that. That was that was what I always got the most joy from. So, um, yeah, it, you know, the goals against Southampton, the goals against Everton, you know, the other goals that I scored, great memories for me. During your time at Leicester City, who was the funniest dressing room character? Jeez, man, too many to mention. Um, Imps cracks me up even to this day. I spoke to him yesterday. But Imps used to come in every morning and uh, he's travelling up from up from, um, fr- from London. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm from the north. So he used to come in and everybody north of Watford, he used to call Northern. <laughs> so, so he was he was a he was a funny character there was the, the different people were different were funny for different in different ways like you know likes of jerry and matt them guys are just funny the same way every day i, I could i could spend you know all day with those guys they're just funny just on in life in general um you know who else was it? No, I, I think you know. Like I said, there was there was a lot of Alan Rogers, Scouser, very funny guy. Um, the young guys he had like Jordan Stewart and Stefan Oates. Oates is really really funny. He's got this dry, really intelligent sense of humour. Um, no, it, it was it was a great great change in him. Honestly, one of the best. Was there that really good feel then in the dressing room, even though you didn't? necessarily have the success particularly that first season and then there was the adversity that you've mentioned of of the administration but there was still a really good feel among the group and and a good camaraderie as you say yeah i mean look you, you can go in some places and it's dead you know um 
It really is. But even there were times when we were getting beaten, that the characters that we had, you know, it made it worthwhile coming in. I've been, I've been in changing rooms where even when the team's doing well and you're not doing well as an individual, where you're walking in and you've got that knot in the stomach, that wasn't the case there because I think everybody rallied round and that that was a special thing about Leicester. Um, you know, the characters are the are the reason why, you know, you still got a stadium there with with a with a club in the division because. It was a joy to go in, and everybody rallied round each other, um, you know, in in a way to kind of say, "Well, look, this is this is life." You know, all of a sudden, you, you know, you forgot, you left all your troubles outside of outside of training and outside of the games, um, you know. And, it, and like I say, I can't speak highly enough of um, that that squad. You know, it was it was a great lesson in my life. It, it was really the one of the the beginning of the time where I thought, you know, I need to show some leadership qualities as well. And and that was an, uh, a great opportunity for me to show some leadership as well. That's interesting. Did you actually say that then almost to yourself? You said, right, OK, you you need to, to do that role because you've reached a certain point in your career and obviously Leicester were, were in a tough situation. So you took it upon yourself in a way to, to try and help lead the group, which already had, I'm sure, a lot of leaders in there. Like you said, there's Matt and there's Jerry, but you felt you needed to, to be one of those as well. Yeah, it was. it came from the feeling of, you know, as, as players, we got left to deal with the situation. And, you know, we have all these fancy words, guided discovery and all of this. But, you know, these were just characters that were coming out you know Frank was in there Frank Sinclair was in there you know we, we all Ian Walker you know we everybody contributed in different ways um, but for me personally it was an opportunity to say have my say from the heart and um, you know I could tell that people took what I said on board they, they respected me um, you know and and when you find that people respect you you want to give even more and and that's how it is, you know. When you've got some older, pro- I always, I, I'll never forget when I, I played with Brian Marwood um, at Sheffield United, and Brian's now working for Man City up in the, um, you know, he's he's one of the directors, and I'll never forget he gave me a little bit of advice about where I should stand on the pitch between the centre back and the full back, and that that was great advice because as as a centre forward. Full uh, centre backs don't like when they can't see you in front of them, and and that that helps me to kind of improve my movement in the box. Um, so it just you know it's little things like that. When you respect people who are older than you, you can always take their experiences and, and harness them. And and I think that's what the guys did. You know, even you know I remember Matt. Matt Piper, I have a good relationship with Matty and I, and I tried to give him some sort of like fatherly advice at times. Same with Jordan, um, you know, and I, I felt quite tight with a lot of the young lads as well. Um, but, you know, even the girls in the admin office, you know, it was a really, really good mix of people down there um, and, and it was a joy. In one of our previous episodes of Inside the Dressing Room, we, we did this with... Matt Piper, and, and he spoke about you very fondly and, and the role that you played in, in his career and helping him out as a young player at Leicester. Yeah, it, look, I, I mean, I recognise Matty as being somebody who was incredibly talented but quite shy. 
And, um, you know, when you get into the end, end of your career, you don't want people to waste time on some of the um, things that perhaps held you back or stopped you from developing as quickly as it was possible. And so I used to try and, and, and find the right way to feed the, the information to the younger lads um, so that they would have... You need, a, you need a certain amount of cockiness and arrogance, but you also need to be fully respectful of, of the people in and around the changing rooms as well. And I, and I was just trying to um, tell Matthew that he could have done anything that he wanted with the ability that he had. He was quick, skillful. You know, he was, he was, he was only 19 at the time. He was, he was you know, he was wiry. Um, you know, fortunately for Matt, he, he, had, his, he had a lot of knee problems and that was basically the reason why, you know, he, was, he, he didn't really kick on. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's, a, it's a really fulfilling role, um, mentoring um, younger players, especially the ones who you feel are going to listen. I ain't got time for anybody if they're not going to listen. And you can, you can usually, you know, you can see from body language whether or not people are going to be taking you on board or not. During your time at the club, who was your most influential manager, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I'd worked with Dave Bassett before um, at Sheffield United and, and Harry had tried to buy me when he went to Forest. Um, so I always, the fact that Harry, was, Harry had brought me down to Leicester was, um, was, was really, you know, it's a really good sign for me. Um, and I had a good relationship with Mickey and, and, and Corky was his assistant who I'd played with at Sheffield United. And I know that they respected me as well. So when you have, uh, um, when you know that the management and the coaching staff respect you, you want to, um, you want to pay that back. So it's, it's really difficult. I can't really say one over the other, you know, there was, they were good in, in different ways. Mm. Um, you know, we, you know, they, you know, they had their different managerial styles and I suppose as players you have to adapt to that as well. Can you remember what your most memorable team talk was at Leicester City, either before a game, at half-time or after a game? Uh, if honest, no, not really. Um, God, it was so long ago. Um, you know, there were, there were different things that I think, if, if I look back and I, and I think about with everything that I've just said about when the NTL deal collapsed and everything, I just think it was that kind of, you, you know, that call to arms by all the players at the beginning of the season where we all said, you know, I had my bit. I said, listen, guys, this is on us. You know, we, we can be remembered forever. You know, there was other people who contributed, Muzzy, Matt, Jerry, um, Dickie, um, you know, so there, there were lots of different characters and that's the point, you see. It wasn't like somebody said something and nobody took it on board. Everybody respected and everybody looked up, uh, um, whether it was, you know, somebody was coming to, into the team at 19 or somebody who was 35. We, we respected the word of everybody and I think that's what team sports is all about. It's about realising that you're, you're as you're as strong as the weakest link and we didn't want to show that there were any weak links. That group that, that you just mentioned there, some of the names, obviously they're big characters, aren't they? And 
And I yeah. think that dressing room at the time at Leicester had a lot of big characters. Was it difficult in a way to to come into that dressing room? Or I suppose in, in a sense, you, you're a big character yourself, so you probably fit in quite well. Yeah, uh, I, like I said, I mean, I played against Matty and Jerry and, um, you know, we had the respect of each other. I mean, I think if you if you ask either of them um, if they like playing against me, the answer would be no. And, and it's the same for me. I never really liked playing against those guys. So, um, you know, we had each other's respect there. Um, you know, just I, I just saw it as a as a good opportunity, a new experience, um, and and I felt that you know it was it it was time to kind of make the next step, you know, go to the next level. Um, when I went into the changing rooms, you know, everybody was, you know, I just got the feeling that everybody was glad to see me. Um, I've been in changing rooms where. You can see the perception of some people, which is, oh, well, he's going to have to prove it to me type of thing. They don't even have to say that. You just know um, because of the personalities who you're dealing with. Um, it was like that when I went abroad, uh, I went when I went to Benfica, because, you know, we didn't really, we don't really have a lot of English players going and playing abroad. You know, and I had teammates from the Paraguay national team, um, you know, Bolivian national team, Portuguese internationals, we had like the likes of Michel Proudhon, who was, you know, he's one of the, you know, he played in the World Cup for Belgium. Um, and, and I had to deal with the press as well over there. So, uh, you know, that was a totally different um, environment to be trying to settle into. And um, for, for me, it was, you know, it was something that was quite intimidating. But, you know, you've got to, You've got to um, believe in your own um, abilities uh, wherever you go. Um, and and that's, that's what I did. And, you know, it wasn't easy, but things turned around. And so, it, you know, coming back and, and going to Leicester was, was, <laughs> it, was a bit, it was a piece of cake compared to that, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> Who was the best player that you played with during your time at Leicester City? Oh, ooh, good question. Um I'd say, obviously, you know, me and Paul Dickoff had a brilliant relationship. Um, we scored the goals that, you know, got us promoted back to the Premier League. Um, you know, Paul's a, a, a really selfless individual when it comes to hard work on the on the pitch, and um, I was I was getting on a little bit at that point. And um, Paul used to do a lot of the running, which was great for me because I could just focus on staying down the middle. Um, so that worked really well. If Paul hadn't been there uh, and, and didn't have that kind of work ethic, it would have made my job really hard. Um, so I, I thank him for that. You know, Muzzy is it? Um, I've got a lot of respect for Muzzy because, you know, we when we went down, you know, he was one who nailed his colours to the mast um, and said he wants to be at the club. Um, you know, which is which is very very important in in that particular situation. Um, you know, the yeah, I, th I think you have to ask. I think it'd be one of those two, really. But mm. I think probably because I played up front with Dickie, it would be Paul. Well, I guess that answers probably the the next question, really. Then, which is what was the best partnership 
you've had on the pitch during your time at the club. So obviously it is it is Paul Dickoff as as you've referenced there. So what made you and him work so well? You, you said that he did a lot of your running for you, which allowed you to concentrate really on on scoring goals. It was just a mutual respect. Um, you know, look, you're not gonna you're not gonna get in with everybody you play up front with and all the rest of it, but. I just think Paul really respected me and you could see that he enjoyed playing with me. Um, and so it made it easy. Um, you know, I, it's a reciprocal thing. And, um, you know, playing with Paul was good because I was always happy when he scored. You know, he was happy when I scored. I think on my Instagram account, I, I, I sent a, I put a picture on there recently where, you know, I've scored a goal and, and Dick is kind of... Try to jump on my back, <laughs> he couldn't reach. <laughs> but um, you, you know, it just it was just it was just a great relationship, um, and one that you know off the pitch I could. It was a real he's a really respect respectful guy, you know, to all his teammates, um, and and it was a it was a joy to play with him. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I can imagine, and, and from stories that I've heard doing this and, and from other uh, ex-players, is that not everybody in football is nice. So when you, you find somebody that is someone like Paul Dickoff that you said you had a really good relationship with, it's important to, to maintain those relationships. Yeah, definitely. And when I see Paul, um, you know, we, we kind of have always got time, a nice man hug big hearty man hug yeah <laughs> but uh, but no you know in all seriousness it's um it's always good to see him and you know reminisce you know about good old times who was the best player that you ever played against so this can be during your whole career who was the best player you played against uh best center back what whatever whatever it might be fit for you yeah well, I mean, you know, up against me, I'd, I'd have to say Lilliam Taram when he was at Monaco, and um, we we played them when I was at Leeds in the uh, UEFA Cup, and I, I honestly can say that I didn't get a kick, and and it's something that it sends shivers down my spine in the fact that. He beat me to every ball, to every header. And after about 70 minutes, I just wanted to either get substituted or I wanted the game to end. Um, we, we played Monaco in the first leg and beat them 3-0. And then they put him on me um, as a man-to-man -man marker. And I was playing in a different position. And he was just superb. He was only a young guy. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a couple of years older than him. But um, he, he was just brilliant. Um, and I, and I found that I had more trouble against him than than I have most of the centre backs. So I'd have to say him. He had everything that day. He was quick, strong, um, couldn't intimidate him in any way. Um, just a brilliant player. And and I mean, look at the career he went on to have. You know, he won the the, the World Cup, the European Championships. Um, went to Juventus, Barcelona, Parma. Won won trophies with all of those. So. It's not a bad person to say he got slapped all over the place and um, I've still got his shirt. We swapped shirts after the game, so I've got that. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure he'd remember who I was. But... <laughs> well, the thing, the thing with Tirami, he wasn't overly tall, was he, for, for a no. central defender? But, but you said that you struggled even to win headers against him. Was he just well, so he just... clever then, was he? Yes, he, he read the game so well. Um 
I can imagine, you know, it's probably, I mean, I think I played against Colo maybe once when he was at Arsenal, if I'm right, I can't remember, but I can imagine Colo was pretty similar, you know, just extremely quick, um, you know, and, and just read it, you know, knew when to make a challenge, when to drop off. Yeah, it was, um, it was a bit of a humbling experience that night uh, in Leeds. What about Premier League opponents? Can you remember your, your, your best Premier League opponent you ever played against? Uh, probably Sol Campbell, again, for similar reasons, in that, you know, he was... And, and look, you know, I had plenty of tussles with him, but <laughs> he was probably one person I, I was like, didn't didn't really enjoy playing against because he was, he, you know, he was, he was very strong physically, he was quick, um... And he had a lot of good players around him, so that makes it even more difficult. I mean, if I look back, I, there was games that I played in against Sol and I got the upper hand as well. But if there was one person who I feel was had all the right ingredients um, for, for a centre-back, um, it's probably him, you know? What was he like as a, as a person as well? Because a lot of people talk about the, 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 the kind of person he is off the pitch. Do you get much of a sense of that when you're actually playing a game against an opponent so many times? Don't really know him. Um, I, um, I, well, yeah, no, I don't really know. I'm not probably known to say hello to, but yeah, I've got no kind of sense of knowing what he's like as a person, um, really. Um, you know, you can see that he's very focused on what he's doing. You know, he's probably spends a lot of time um, preparing um, for the game. So, uh, you know, it's a very professional outlook, I suppose. What was your most memorable game or your most memorable moment with Leicester City? <laughs> Ooh, gosh, good one. I think... I'd like to say when we got promoted, um, but I think from a personal point of view, it was going to places like uh, Southampton, St Mary's and going to Everton and, and scoring. You know, I got a brace in both of those games. So I think realistically, you know, those were personal uh, milestones for me. Um because I was, it meant that I was still, I was still relevant in the Premier League. <laughs> you also famously, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this an awful lot. Obviously, famously scored the the first ever Premier League goal. But but from a Leicester point of view, you you scored a, a milestone goal as well because you scored the first goal at, at what is now King Power Stadium. So so that must have been quite a nice moment, and it was another double as well for you that day. Yeah, that's right. As, you know what? That came to mind. I mean, that was that was a brilliant day. Um, you know, we didn't know what to expect, but we won the game 2-0. I got the first goal. I know Jordan Stewart always kind of tried to claim that he scored the uh, first goal because he, he scored in a friendly, but, you know, there's levels. <laughs> if he's listening, you know, there's there's levels. And, and so... Um, I, I yeah that that was a fantastic game because it gave us that kind of belief um that we could do what we you know what we talked about in terms of getting promoted and with all the issues going on in the background it it was it kind of 
brought the group closer together. Um, but for me personally, obviously, you know, two go- two goals, opening game of the season, brand new stadium, full crowd. Um, yeah, magnificent. Did it? Did it? Like when you you scored that first goal and you wheel off and you're celebrating, do you actually think, oh wow, I've just scored the first ever goal at this new stadium, or were you just wheeling away celebrating because you'd taken the lead in in, in a game? What was no, that like? Yeah, no. You listen. You don't get time to think about things incidentals like you know being the first person to score a, a, a stadium. It, it's always about what's happening in the game. You know, that's where your focus is. Um, I can't imagine any player that would be on a pitch and, and thinking about anything other than the fact that you put your team one goal up or you've scored both goals. Look, if the game, if the result is kind of out of the way and, and you know you've won, then that's perhaps different. But um, certainly at the time, I was just overcome with joy at the fact that I, you know, I'd, I'd scored. You know, because... As centre forwards, what we tend to do is at the beginning of the season we look at get we look at well I can't talk for everybody but myself anyway so look at the fixtures and think right okay how many goals how many goals can I score against this team how many goals you know when's my next goal coming from so if you get to ten games you think right okay I think I need to have at least five goals or six goals or three goals so to score two goals on the opening day gave me a bit of credit in the bank when it came to where my next goals were coming from and you use that as a platform to build on when you scored I I guess really it's the the same question for but just however many years before 10 years or so before that when you scored that first Premier League goal again you had no idea of the significance I guess when you scored that goal as, as to what it eventually has done that you are the answer to a fantastic pub quiz question (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely no idea. And, and even sort of like when I... Nobody really used to talk about it until I finished playing. So, you know, I think that that's um, that's how big the Premier League has become. Uh, um, that's what that means, basically, is that when it started, you know, I was the first person to score. And, yeah, still alive, still here. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm famous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing we always do on Inside the Dressing Room is ask a, a little trivia question of our guests. Um, and it actually relates to the, the day you um, scored that first competitive goal at what is now King Power Stadium. Uh, so the question is, who was the goalkeeper for Watford that day? Uh, was it Chamberlain? It was correct. Well done. Well done. Alec Chamberlain, the goalkeeper for Watford. Come on, you gotta have more for me than that. <laughs> well that that's that that was Is the that question. It? I can ask you another related to that, that game if you want. Let's have that's, a little look. That's baby stuff. Come on, what have you got for me? <laughs> Do you think you could name the Leicester midfield that day? Oh god. <laughs> you ask you ask for more, Brian. <laughs> All right, okay, let me have a go. So, James Scowcroft. Yeah. Um, Muzzy, is it? Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, oh, gosh. Other person in midfield, Callum Davison? No. No, there was... I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. There was Nicky Summerby. Was there? Yeah. Uh, and then... Well, I can run you through the whole team. So, it was Ian Walker in goal, Matt Elliott, Frank Sinclair, Jerry Taggart... <clears throat> 
Lee Marshall, Alan Rogers, Muzzy Is It, Nicky Summerby, Jamie Scowcroft, Brian Dean, Paul Dickoff. No, I wouldn't have got that. <laughs> but you got the important one right, which is, is the, the Watford goalkeeper. So well done for getting the trivia question right. I tell you, not many people do get the trivia question right on Inside the Dressing Room. So uh, <laughs> congratulations for that one. So now we're going to pick your teammates 11 then, Brian. So basically, for those of you that are new to the podcast, and obviously for, for your case as well, uh, we've asked you to pick your the best 11 players, basically, that you played with during your career. Um, and five of these, because we're on LCFC Radio, at least five of them have to be your Leicester teammates as well. Um, right. So we'll start with your Ooh. formation. What, what have you gone for formation-wise, Brian? So I, I've, because I've got to accommodate and, and think flexibly and fluidly, I've gone for a three-four-three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, because that can transform it into a a four-four-two at any time if I need to. If the um, if the if the wide players need to um, drop in, but yeah, a three-four-three could turn into a four-three-three, for example. But uh, I'm going to go with. Um, uh, Ian Walker in goals. Yep. So obviously that was from your your time with Leicester, of course. Ian Walker and and what what was he like as a as a player and as a, a person in the dressing room as well? Yeah, Walks was good. He was pretty. He was a quiet dude. You know what I mean? He was. Um, yeah, <laughs> bit 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 funny one with Walks because um, he's always good company. Um, lads loved him. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good goalie. You know what? It, it was one of these that um, I used to ask people about what what was good about him, and and they said um, his positional sense was really good. Um, so, but he was he had great reflexes, um, and and yeah, he was he was good. He was a good all round goalkeeper, uh, and certainly you know when you. When we were in that situation where we'd gone into the championship, having a, a very good goalkeeper is a is a sign to anybody else because essentially Ian was a Premier League goalkeeper. As were we could argue that most of us were as well. But if you've got a if you've got a goalkeeper with the pedigree that he's got, for example, um, then it stands you in good stead. In defence, then you've got one of your three central defenders. is is another Leicester player, is Frank Sinclair, and obviously he he works quite well because if if you want to play a back four, he can also play on the right hand side of the defence. Yeah, that's right. Um, Frank actually got played a year when I came down there. Uh, he did very well that year, and um, he's very quick, very strong for his size. Um, so yeah, Frank would go in as one of my centre backs. He could play a centre back. He could play a full back. Which is good, and he was very much uh, a, a big character in the dressing room, wasn't he, Frank Sinclair? We've heard lots of stories about, particularly on nights out as well. He used to enjoy oh, getting everyone together. Funny, funny guy, man. Funny. He was funny without even realizing Frank was, you know. But uh, nah, he's a good, good guy as well. So yeah, definitely one to have in the changing rooms and one in the, uh, you know, when we're on a night out as well. Uh, the other two defenders, you've got Gary Pallister from your time at Middlesbrough and Lucas Radderby as well from your time at Leeds. He's very much a Leeds legend through and through, isn't he? Yes, Lucas um, spent uh, most of his career, well, just about all of his career 
um, at Leeds United uh, when he came from from South Africa and uh, very popular up here. They absolutely love him. And um, yeah, Lucas had a lot of injuries and had a lot of adversity to overcome. So it tells you something about his resilience. I'd definitely have Lucas in there alongside Gary. He was he was quick. He was um, he was a brilliant man to man marker. Um, so yeah, happy with that. Uh, and then you've gone for wing backs in, in typical Leicester fashion of, of that era. Uh, and one of the wing backs yeah. is someone that we've spoken about actually already on this podcast and, and Matt Piper. Yeah, the reason why I'm picking Matt is because I think that potentially he could have, you know, he had his career cut short. But if on ability, he could have done anything. He had a great gas tank. Um, he, um, you know, he's very tricky, you know, had all the skills, could beat defenders without even thinking about it. Um, and he would have only got better. So, uh, you know, he would have been a, a great asset to have um, and would have been able to work both ways, um, back and forth, um, as an outlet and, you know, and an extra body in there if you need to get compact. On the other side, the other wing-back is, is Christian Ziegler as well from your time at Middlesbrough. And there's another Middlesbrough player in the midfield as well in Janino. And Now, Leicester fans have got an interesting relationship with Janino because they know him well for, for the, the man-marking job that Pontus Kamark did on him in, in the League Cup final. Um, but he was, he was quite an incredible player and I think that's the reason why Martin O'Neill decided to put Kamark on him in that final. Yeah, you know, Janino was was brilliant. I mean, I, I made um, when he made his debut for Middlesbrough. We, I was at Leeds and we were playing um, Borough that day, and I actually scored. But the the the, the funny thing about Janino was that he would go into the back four to collect the ball, and then he just set off, and you couldn't get near him. You know, with the ball, he was he was just. You know, something that we hadn't seen before. Uh, the anticipation every time he picked the ball up was amazing. Um, but there aren't, there haven't been many players like him um, in that he was so good in close, you, you know, in tight situations. He was very skillful, um, very resilient and robust, even though he was, you know, he was small, he would... He could pick a fight with anybody and not be bothered about size. Um, but he, he was also brilliant on the ball. And if you think about some of these teammates who he played with for Brazil, you know, the likes of Roberto Carlos, um, you know, people like Ronaldo, all of these guys, you know, he went to um, he went to Atletico Madrid for a, for a lot of money um, as well, just you know, you kind of understand his quality when you realise where he was at that time. He was an absolute world star. Um, you know, Brian Robson couldn't believe that he actually had the opportunity to go and buy him. He actually got on a flight and went down to Rio and, and convinced him. But he was that good. He was an unbelievable player. Muzzy, is it makes up the midfield um, two or the midfield four, if you like? Obviously, we, we've spoken about him and, and how good of a player he was earlier, but what about a, as a person, Muzzy, is it? And another huge character in that dressing room at that time at Leicester? Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I, th I think one of the reasons why I picked Muzzy is because, you know, when we went down, he, he made it 
clear he wanted to stay and help the club go up and that that's the kind of person who you um you know who you want around you know we had other other players who you know felt it was better for them to move on for their career and that's fine but you know Muzzy kind of said well no I, you know okay there's no shame in playing in this division and you know I want to help Leicester City go back up and it it was it was good to have him in the team because we had that quality um you know, again, he was Premier League quality, really, and uh, it, it was good for us to be able to have him in in the side. You know, it certainly lifted us. Um, you know, to have him during that season. Uh, Paul Dickoff makes up your fifth and final Leicester player in your teammates eleven. Alan Boxick also is one of the strikers, and then there's Tony Yaboa as well, another one of your Leeds teammates. Someone who is is very famously known for a number of long range strikes. Yeah, listen, the guy was unbelievable to play with. Um, you know, he was he, he was just like a force of nature. He's um his build, he was just it was just power and energy. Um, as well as an unbelievable left foot. Um so yeah, Tony was a little bit of a phenom at the time. It was hard to play against um, quite happy playing on his own. We actually played in a four-three-three um, when we were, you know, when when we were at Leeds, and that gave him, you know, that gave him the freedom to kind of work as he wanted. He was a bit of a maverick, but um, you know, we kind of built the team around having him as a striker, which tells you a little bit about how good he was. When you think about how good that Leeds team was, that we were in together. And those goals as well that he's he's very famously known for scoring. Did he do that all the time? Were they the kind of things that he would do in training in, and no one would ever see them and then eventually they did translate onto the pitch? Was he just that good technically that he could produce those moments of magic? Yeah, I have to say, you know, his finishing was ridiculous. Um, there's some forwards who, when they're in front of goal, they... It's like the whole, everything slows down, and they're, they've they've just got this calmness about what they're doing. And, and Tony was one of those that is. It's not. Um, it's not often you see that in a player, but you know I've seen it in Tony. Um, you know, it just seemed to, it was like his heart rate slowed down. Everything, and he just everything was a pass. Everything was precision. Um, phenomenal player. And he and he seemed to play with a, a smile on his face as well. Yeah, he was. Look, I mean, Tony was the most relaxed person you could ever wish to meet in a, in in given situations. And um, you know, he he it uh, <laughs> was just it was just one of those where you you you're on the pitch with him, nothing phased him. Um, you know, and, and I remember one time when we we had the cup final and. Um, we, uh, he never said anything to me because I'd been dropped. It's a funny story because I'd we played against Everton the week before and uh, I'd, I'd scored two goals and then I found myself dropped for the cup final. Um, and and you know I, obviously I was fuming and uh, you know Tony didn't Tony didn't say anything to me till after the cup final um, and he said you know I, I don't understand it but. You know, people might have had their things to say, but it was, he, you know, he was just preparing for the game. He didn't want to cause any waves with anybody. 
Um, but even like I met him, I saw him the other week because it was sorry the other last year because it was Leeds United centenary, and he came over and he, you know, it was it was really nice to see him and 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 speak to him and see that he hadn't changed. He was still living a, a very happy life. He was very relaxed. You know, he was happy to go back to Africa and and you know living just like nice and peacefully and calmly. So. That just sums him up, really. He's, he's not somebody who, you know, he's not somebody who couldn't deal with stress, but he was just happy being Tony Boa. Right, that makes up your teammates at 11 then. So you've got Ian Walker in goal, a back three of Frank Sinclair, Gary Pallister and Lucas Radaby. Your wing-backs are Matt Piper and Christine Zieger. In midfield, Muzzy it and Janino with Alan Boxick, Paul Dickoff and Tony Yaboa as a front three. So uh, a frightening uh, teammates 11 there for you, Brian. The final question that we always ask on Inside the Dressing Room is what was your favourite night out or your favourite trip away as a group with Leicester City? <laughs> is that a wise thing? <laughs> <laughs> Things started to change around becoming more professional and all the rest of it. Um, but it just seemed that we had that kind of culture, but it got when it got when it needed to be serious, it was serious. We just you know sometimes we had a bit of time off and the lads wanted to do a bonding session to it might have been a game of golf. You know, sometimes we'd go in and we'd have a we'd have a meal together. Um, I remember we came back from somewhere and I remember we went and had a really good night out in Sheffield which was a lot of fun um, just different times it was just it was all part of it you know I think players are under a lot of scrutiny now and um, it, it is what it is they earn a lot of money and you have to behave and you have to act accordingly um, you know if somebody said to me well you're going to earn all this but you can't do that. I'm sure. I'm sure. I know what I'd be happy with. And so I don't think the players can complain. They have an opportunity now to be, you know, to have everybody's dream job. You know, there's a lot of jealousy around football uh, and football players because essentially you're gifted and you've got all of you know you're well paid for what you do as well. So. You have to take the rough with the smooth um, and, you know, make sacrifices. We all made it because we made sacrifices and, and that's no different. This was an LCFC radio production of Inside the Dressing Room. To hear more episodes with former Leicester City players, please subscribe to our podcast from all your usual podcast providers. Thank you for listening and if you enjoyed it, share the podcast with your friends, family and fellow members of the Blue Army who might enjoy it too.